Welcome to Prepare for Takeoff. I am the creator and host, Terry L. Cyrus. We are the podcast dedicated to amplifying black excellence. Every week we sit down with a proven professional or rising entrepreneur who's making a difference in the community. This week, we got a huge guest to stop by, checking in, and pulled up on us. This, this, this guest is none other than my fraternity brother, you know, a friend of mine, Roots of the Q's, <laughs> who I've known for over two decades. And that person is none other than celebrity, shoe designer, accessory designer extraordinaire, E2 Evans. What's up, E2? Real, bro. How you doing today? Man, I'm good. I'm good, man. Blessed and highly favored, man. Another day above ground. So what's up with you, man? I know you're doing some major things. I know you've made the transition from NYC to the ATL. So talk to me, man. What's going on with you? Well, I have one foot in Harlem and one foot in Atlanta. Uh, thought I would try it out. Uh, COVID, as you know, did a number on the city. So during that particular time, I got a call to come to Atlanta to design the National Black Caucus of State Legislators, 996 people. So I was responsible for designing and overseeing all of the floral arrangements, uh, layout of the podiums, the furniture, the lighting, the props. So that's what brought me to Atlanta. And I wanted to also expand my media empire to media because I've been serving for a number of years as the creative director of Hall of World Magazine. So coming to Atlanta gave me the opportunity to get on the red and the bronze carpet of the film festivals to host and conduct the celebrity interviews. Hey, no, listen, I want everybody to just unpack what this brother said. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, this had me come down and do a little something, something light. Yo, major. Everything that he just said was major in and of itself. Hey, you're not getting those calls unless you're somebody major like E2. So E2, unpack your story. Like, explain to us how we got here. Like, how, how did your journey start? Well, my journey started actually with my grandmother. She is my cheerleader. She just turned 96 in August. Uh, and she would always encourage me. But I credit her for my trajectory because... She was a style maven. The top of her ceiling, the shoes were connected like the two train. She had coat hangers and there were bees cascading off of those hangers. There were hats stacked up in the corner and she would sit me on her high bed. It almost looked like a canopy bed, but it didn't have the canopy. And she would ask me, what should she wear to church? So I would pick out her accessories. And I was fascinated because she would always ask me, but what shoes should, because she loved stilettos. Uh, and if she could still walk in them, she would try. Um, so she would just say, you know, what am I wearing today? So my eyes really zoned in on shoes. And not only the physical aspect of shoes, I noticed that it transformed her body. And then as I got older, I began to study shoes. I have a TED talk where I talk about leaving a footprint and I use shoes as a metaphor and it addresses the legal ramifications of shoes, sexuality uh, surrounding shoes, class. A lot of people think red bottoms belong to a certain designer, but they actually were the intellectual property of another designer. But even before that, uh, those red bottoms separated the king's court from the nobles and the peasants. So shoes really affect the world. I say that shoes are the diaries of our lives. They tell our story. 
step after step, footprint, one step at a time. So now your first entry point into design, uh, into the design world, as far as a fashion designer, it was shoes or was it accessories first? Which which kind of um, uh, helped you make your entry point into the business? My entry point into the business, actually, I started with floral arrangements. And I made a floral design to cheer my mother up one day. And you know, what you get reinforced for, you repeat. So I took a job in undergrad and I didn't want, I wanted to be in the apparel section. Because you know, I like fashion. And they put me, sometimes the things we think are mistakes are actually the quarter to our pathway. So they put me in the floral section and the flowers were everywhere. So it just looked really intense in terms of labor because I had to sweep all those flowers up while, while uh, sweeping up those blossoms and petals. The light bulb went off. I can use these to make hats. Mm. So I started putting them on hats and they were on doors. I got you know, the opportunity to have my design placed at a high-end upholstery shop where Michael Jordan was going to have his things done. Uh, and then after that, I started putting them on fashion hats. So I started with millinery first with hats. And two publicists started fighting over them at a show in Manhattan. And that's catapulted my career into fashion. Fast forward, while in grad school at Columbia University, uh, my girlfriend left some fingernail polish uh, at my place. And I was sitting on the stoop on 145th, a little frustrated. And I was like, I bet I could make an earring out of this. So I took her fingernail polish, painted it. I had some wire. I started making these different shapes, adding tassels, other semi-precious stones. And then I got a call to you know, appear and make an appearance rather at the Saudi show, which featured uh, Ben Vereen, Max Roach, and a lot of other uh, notable influencers. And uh, that caught the eye of Essence Magazine. And then, you know, I went from Essence to Mary Claire Spain, to Harper's Bazaar calling. Uh, so my designs have been featured pretty much all around the world from doing New York Fashion Week to Paris Fashion Week. Uh, you name it. I've been in a plethora of high fashion magazines um, and also working as a creative director. I just did the Laureano Ramos calendar. You know, he has over 300 followers on uh, social media. So I was a creative director for that project and also styled it and it's doing pretty, pretty well. And I'm sure that's 300,000 or, or just yes. three. I'm, <laughs> right. Who's <laughs> at 300,000? I'm sure. We, we're doing three, numbers, dog. <laughs> right. We're doing, that's what I was about to say. I know you're doing numbers, man. And then one of the things that I know um, as a result of the trajectory that you were able to enjoy in fashion and the nickname that you earned, Harlem Blonick, you know what I'm saying? That led to you being the face of a particular brand. You 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 shared a uh you care to share with our listeners and viewers what brand that was and how that came about? Sure. Martel Cognac, that was an amazing experience. I am trying to get another campaign like that. Um talking to a brand, so we've been kind of trying to see where it goes. Um I put it out there, but Martel was an incredible experience. 
You know, it took me to France, even though I worked in France on number of, of number of occasions, but for the brand and actually to go to the Chateau and, you know, they had the maids and the butlers and, you know, different uh, clientele coming from around the world and serving as the face and brand ambassador was a delight in terms of travel, in terms of eating and having breakfast uh, uh, on top of the Eiffel Tower. It just came with a number of perks, not to mention, you know, the ad was running on buses, trains, um, a number of magazines from GQ to Jet. So whether you were light and bright or dark, <laughs> it didn't matter. You saw the ad campaign. So it was a wonderful experience. Uh, premium spirits. It was really fascinating to learn about the actual process and how these things are fermented and barreled and, you know, developing the palate, also conjuring up the clientele who savored this particular brand. Um, so great experience. So I would love to do something uh, with Martel in the future, fashion-wise, at the Chateau in the south of France. That's dope. And um, I know you had mentioned that, uh, I mean, you've worked with, all, you've been featured in all kinds of magazine publications. You've been on, your face has been on buses and <laughs> trains, et cetera. And, um, you know, I know you've worked with a host of celebrities. Uh, what what are some of those celebrities that come to mind that uh, it was just a very memorable experience in working with them and kind of, uh, how did that even come about? Well, I've been really blessed and highly favored like yourself in terms of opportunities and grinding for those opportunities and not compromising my principles to get them. Um, I would say one of the very memorable opportunities that came to mind was uh, having my stuff to appear on America's Next Top Model with Tower Banks. Uh, it featured my books, my boots. It featured my jewelry. It featured a skirt. Uh, it <laughs> it featured everything but my furniture. So that was a delight because a lot of times people like to make people of color monolithic, and we're anything but that, given the opportunity. And uh, they gave me the opportunity to really showcase my skill set as a lifestyle architect. And then I had the opportunity to work with Tyra on a photo shoot and then custom make a pair of shoes for her. So incredible opportunity, got a call and they pulled my things for Beyonce uh, in the past, Michael B. Jordan, Halle Berry, Andre 3000, uh, Erica Baidu, Queen Latifah, uh, Danny Glover, uh, Erica Alexander, Debbie Morgan, Eric Benet actually did apparel uh, for Eric Benet. Um, Aretha Franklin before she passed away. So that's just to, to name a few. There are a lot more, but that's what comes to mind uh, immediately. Oh, and go ahead. Uh, SWV, uh, that was a cool experience. And to go back, Heavy D. Um, I did the nothing but love for you, baby. That was my jury in it. Jay-Z, Can't Knock the Hustler. 
And then I had other campaigns also, like uh, uh, I did the national campaign for um, cream, cream of Nature. Then I had Burger King campaign. Then for my foundation, I had the Everyday Heroes national campaign for my Soulsville Foundation. Then I had a few hair campaigns. Some worked and some didn't because my hair doesn't take to, to chemicals. So. Wow, man. That's a lot, team. And I mean, all of that encompasses Black excellence, to say the least. And I know some of the things that we've um, experienced just in media, as well as other, um, you know, facets of, you know, business that and we, when talking to people who are guests on our show, the, the, um, the, the thing that continues to seem to ring true is the lack of diversity in all these areas. So is there also a lack of diversity in fashion? Uh, definitely. We are the largest consumers of luxury, but the average person can't name, you know, five designers on their hands. And if they can, 10 is really pushing it. Mm. Um, for the longest time, my shop in Harlem on 135th street, um, we won the uh, timeout Tony Award, but people would come and basically steal, take pictures all the time in the window to the point sometimes I had to take some of my things out of the windows. And I had companies calling me saying they knew the origin, you know, of the design. So, I mean, I even, when I was on the hottest designer segment of The View and my designs were featured, uh, I did a line for Payless. They wanted high-end silhouettes, but done. Uh, and I would say, as they say now, vegan leather. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Man, so how can we like offset some of that? I mean, I realize that a lot of things that has transpired after the whole George Floyd um, incident that um, we all witnessed on camera. A lot of companies have made a conscious effort to bring about change as far as representation, as far as trying to um, lend resources to under-resourced communities, in particular the Black community. Has Have you been privy to any of the changes that um, people have made in fashion and apparel to, 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 to ensure that there will be more people who look like you and I, who are melanated, who are contributors in fashion? Well, I would like to send a shout out to Tim Gunn, pre-George Floyd. He gave me the opportunity to design for the Cotti in Italy, and I did all of their accessories. So it's those kind of, and that's an international opportunity. It's, it's, it's those kind of moments that can really change someone's direct uh, trajectory from eating pizza to really having a meal, not just for the week, but for years to come um, to build off of that wealth. Uh, I see people of color uh, somewhat as dots. When I was watching uh, something on social media, and the gist of where I'm going with these, if these dots would come together like a black spider, it's an African proverb that says, once the black spiders unite, their web can hold a lion. So I think even before going outside, because we are the largest consumers, the Nielsen report 
clearly states that African-American women are the most influential shoppers and trendsetters. So it starts with us, even because we outnumber them. And when we don't outnumber, we outshop. So we have to be like the black spider and come together as a collective and not just use the excuse that if it's a black business, it's poor service. You can't make that generalization. Because once you keep putting that narrative out, and if you're not offering solutions, then you're actually hoping to put firewood on your enemies or those people who constantly and always have stolen from you. You're empowering them. You can't even walk around, even Oprah. You know, when she was shopping, I believe it was Switzerland. She was profiled. So why can't you trust people that look like you? It, it amazes me because the uh, Japanese consumers, they come all the way from Japan. The lights went out one night in Harlem, one afternoon. And I bought flashlights and sold out. Why do other people appreciate us and we lack confidence and trust? Why don't we recirculate the dollar in our own community? We take it out of our community. And I think if we came together and truly shopped by us, for us, all the other corporations and companies and individuals who do not look like us, they're at our mercy because they really need us. So they're taking your money and putting you out of their shop. I'm telling you to come shop with me, not because I'm black. It's because I have a product that is not inferior, that's made in Italy in Tom Ford's factory, that I've highly trained, and not just me, I know many of me's, both nationally, domestically, and internationally. If you don't like what you're seeing, find the Black excellence and support it. You know what? Those are some bars right there, to say the least, man. And I couldn't agree with you more, man. It's so sad and unfortunately true. A lot of times we're our own worst enemy. We're the only group of people who are suspicious of ourselves like whether you're going into a community if you see too many people of color and you're a person of color sometimes we may grow suspicious of the neighborhood i wonder what the crime is i wonder what this i wonder what that and and unfortunately sad but true that's how we've been programmed and so what i'm looking to do is i'm looking to deprogram people through media through our platform prepare for takeoff to show people that there are people who look like you and me who are not just pointing out the problem but we're bringing about you know, some of the things that could be the solution as it relates to, you know, life as we know it. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to feature people like you who have the knowledge, who have the insight that can, you know, pour into young professionals, those individuals who are those rising entrepreneurs who may want to make the transition into fashion, apparel, whatever the case may be. So with that being said, what's some advice that you would give somebody who wants to be a, um, you know, like a, a fashion designer, you know, somebody who wants to work um, as far as accessories or even furniture, things of that nature. Would, would you tell them to take the traditional path as, as it relates to going to FIT or would you tell them to just, hey, just put in the work, try to, you know, 
do what you can to fine tune by way of showing what your skill set is by way of just putting in the work and then presenting it on social media and, and, and all the other digital platforms that will allow you to showcase, you know, your, your great work. Well, my advice is study to show yourself approved. I meet so many young people and they want microwavable success. And what happens when you have a dream is that we see where we're starting and where we want to end, but the murky part where it gets nebulous is in the middle. And what I find is that you only get out what you put in. So I tell people, if this is something that you really want to do, then you're going to have to invest your time. You're going to have to invest your resources. You're going to have to, like your mind is like a parachute. It only opens when you use it. You got to put the work in. You can't say, hey, I'm going, I got this seed of an idea and you expect that you're going to get fruit. It doesn't work that way. You have to nurture your idea. And really, I know a lot of people that said, I want to do fashion, but they don't even know what they want to do. Fashion is broad. Are you a professor? You know, are you a contractor? Are you an illustrator? Are you a designer? Are you a stylist? If you don't know who you are or what you want, you're going to build somebody else's dream. You're going to become what they want you to be. So the first thing to be is to be clear on your identity. Be clear on your product and or service. And then start networking. Uh, find someone to mentor you. Apply to FIT. Find out what it takes to even get into school. Even if you don't go, you're going to need a portfolio. But in that process, you will learn what it takes to package yourself. How are you going to finance this? You know, it's the fashion business. Designing is one thing. But if you don't understand the business of fashion, you're going to need a seamstress because your threads are going to rip financially, emotionally, and physically. You're going to need a few patches. Right. So it's not like somebody can say, hey, you know what? I want to design. I have a dope idea. I'm going to just try to do it on my own because unfortunately they probably will find that reality out the hard way as it pertains to things showing up in an inferior capacity. Right. And then well, also I didn't take the traditional route. I did that later, but I was okay. already featured in a number of publications. Mm. I was already featured in the celebrity videos. I got out and I networked and I put out a quality product. For me, the product had to be a quality product because in the beginning, people who look like me in Harlem, it's like, oh man, your boots are $3,000, $5,000. You know the story, bro. And they were like, no, nah, we're not coming. And it was doing what I call Phantom of the Opera of Crackheads uptown. <laughs> and then these girls were coming from France and England to buy my shoes, and then people started looking. So I would have these high-end, because you know I like to curate things. So I had a uh, nectarine tree in my backyard in Harlem. So I was juicing it and putting in nice chalices and garnishing. I was creating an experience. You know, it's the E2 Evans experience first. Right. Because if you have a good experience, no matter what the medium is, you're going to return. 
Mm-hmm. And then I would have a lot of people coming in of color and they was like, we can go to Bloomingdale's. We can go to Barney's. I said, well, I don't want to waste your time. Let me help you out. Right. And I would put them out. I was polite. And then as they were going out, they noticed everybody coming in. So then right. they started. So you got to know your worth. Because mm-hmm. if you don't know your value, people are going to devalue you. But mm-hmm. if you know who you are, you can charge accordingly. You can stick to your principles and you can stick to your price. And what I've learned is if you make people pay for it, they will appreciate you. Right. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to buy what you're giving away. So I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So you're saying as far as your because you didn't take the um, traditional route, you're saying you I found a later. Way, you did it later. So you found a way to make a superior product outside of the system as it relates to having not gone to um, FIT or some of these other schools, Parsons, where I know you attended, but you attended later. So you're saying there is a hope for someone that let's say they're in Iowa, which isn't necessarily a fashion hub, but they have a skill set. They have insight. They have an eye. They have a natural born gift, you know, that was, that's been bestowed on them by God. You're saying, you know, just, you know, based on what you share with us, they, if they're able to cultivate that um, gift that they have you know, because of the advent of social media and all the other digital platforms, mm-hmm. they too could be able to showcase their work, but you still would encourage them to get the the training that comes with attending FIT and Parsons and et cetera. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the reason I, I, I mentioned the institutions mm-hmm. is because you find future partners, you have an opportunity to collaborate with people in your space. You get to meet guest speakers and lecturers at seminars, but more importantly, you gain a host of alumni. Everybody loves a winner. And when you're winning, you now have the cheerleaders of the alumni. And then you have those professors or people in place like a Howard Davis, uh, amazing shoe designer and professor at Parsons, or a Tim Gunn at Parsons, or someone like a Jennifer Seletsky who runs a uh, handbag workshop in New Jersey that you know I can partner, I can call up if I need something, I can reach out. Uh, professor Stephen Cuttings is a major, Leonard Davis, they are veterans. You know, these guys were running around with Beth Ann Hardison and, and the powerhouses. So the kind of invaluable knowledge when I had the opportunity to go to the exhibition where they were featured with major corporate sponsorship, you know, my your network is your net worth. So mm-hmm. I, it just opened up additional opportunities. Right. Now, I know that there's been some changes. Um, I know that Pharrell has since trans- transitioned over to Louis Vuitton. And um, I know that there's, you know, there's been some other people of color that was there um, prior to Pharrell's arrival, yeah. you know, Virgil but, but yeah, yeah, Virgil and, um, and you know, peace upon, you know, peace upon his family um, as far as his passing. So just wanted to offer our condolences because he was a giant that the world lost in the world of fashion. Absolutely. So, um, you know, peace be up, up on his family. Um, just, just still, I'm sure dealing with that, that great loss as we all have. Um, but I guess 
Now, do you think that there'll be other fashion houses that will, to your point, see, okay, Pharrell doesn't have a traditional fashion background. His, his background is in music, but he's a trendsetter. And as a result of being a trendsetter, he can, he can further influence consumers as we already, as you mentioned, do based on our buying trends and based on the impact that we have on what people are inclined to do and embrace. So do you think that someone at other fashion houses are saying like, you know what, we need to find our Pharrell? Well, I admire Pharrell, but I would like to personally see them hire designers who have the skill set, who put in the work, and it's their forte, it's their lifestyle, it's their breath, it's their energy, it's their light. We have too many talented designers to just turn to entertainers. I think it's great for Pharrell. I think he's doing a great job. But because I lecture at these schools, and there are so few of us who have spent the money for the education and put the time in for the training, you know, I like to say, no pun intended, that fashion is a pretty ugly business. It's pretty for those 15 minutes on the runway, but it's ugly leading up to the process and the grueling hours that you have to put in and the investment. I would like to see other design houses hire people like, you know, Balmain has done, you know, amazing job. You know, we had Telfar. It's wonderful to see him take off, you know. So, and there's so many that are in the ranks awaiting. You know, I'm waiting for those opportunities. I'm even looking for greater opportunities. Mm -hmm. Right now, you know, I don't have a, I have a more of a proverbial flute, but I'm looking to expand uh, kind of in an Andre 3000 kind of way. Right. Now, I guess one of, I guess as, as you were talking, you know, my, my wheels started spinning and saying, okay, could you combine those two worlds as it relates to realizing that let's face it, like some of those same concerns are you find in film and television. Okay. Why aren't you hiring traditional actors? Why did this rapper get that role? Or why did this person, you know, why were they picked to be the face of that franchise on television or whatever the case may be? But I think big, it is business. It's an entertainment business. If Will Smith, prior to the slap, <laughs> if he could put more butts in the seat, then they're going to pick him for the role opposed to this person who trains at Juilliard. So, you know, if, if I'm a fashion designer, just kind of, you know, having an understanding of how the world works, would it serve a, a fashion designer, even like yourself to say, you know what, I have the skill set. I know what it takes to create a, 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 um, a collection that will stand the test of time and be appreciated by all of the fashion aficionados. But if I, if I come on stage, you know, with this entertainer saying this is, the um let's call it the the Megan Good collection designed by Itsu Evans. Is that a is that a good marriage or do you think that that is something that you you, you don't see um ha having the same value that I described? Uh I think a simple solution is to hire a designer to be a designer. 
and to hire entertainers and influencers to be the face of brands and brand ambassadors. That way, both parties eat. Okay. And it's going to be beneficial. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cause I, because I want the people that's listening like, okay, well, man, you know, I have a Rolodex of people and my niece, nephew, whatever is. Tell them to call me. (laughs) Have them call you. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and, and speaking of that, I mean, then I know you are back and forth between Atlanta and New York, but, um, and, and I know you have a foundation. So, and I know you're in all these different places. So if somebody, if somebody wanted to like reach out to you, what would be the best way to reach you? I mean, we're going to miss, we're going to plug this a couple of times through the show, but I just want to make sure that they know they can get in contact with you about, you know, by way of, you know, whatever, you know, you, you deemed appropriate as far as the, the, the best way to contact you. Uh, the best way to reach me, I have a website. It's called the Evans Gill, T H E, my last name, Evans, E V A N S. Gil, G-U-I-L-D dot com. The number is there. Uh, the email is there. Um, that's, I mean, that's how people reach me. Okay. Now, and that's the first plug. And we're going to be, we're going to plug this at the end of the show as well. And then there's also Terry Cyrus. <laughs> right, right. Listen, <laughs> absolutely. You can always reach out to me and I'll make certain that. Well, and, and what I'll do, I'll make sure that I, I sift through the rubble and I only bring you the roses. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey. Because. I don't want nobody, I, I don't want nobody wasting your time, man, because I know you're a busy man. So now I know you had mentioned you have a foundation. Uh, talk to us about the foundation, some of the work you guys have done in the past and continue to do with Soulsville. Uh, Soulsville is uh, very dear to my heart. Uh, I created Soulsville in 1994 and made it official in 1996 in Harlem. And I would actually, God would just tell me, you know, inspired me to go around and collect shoes. And people will say, you know, how do you know where to find the shoes, E? I say, because I'm listening. He's telling me, and I would find shoes that were in mint condition. Amazing sneakers, because the sneakerheads, they get one scuff, and, you know, they toss these sneakers. So my shop was on 135th Street. So we would repair those shoes, uh, polish them up, and we would give them to first-time job seekers. We would give shoes to those who were incarcerated and coming home, needing a job, and just needing basic footwear. It's cold outside. You know, it's snow. And they don't have anything on their feet. Um, then we would do shoes for natural disasters, those types of things. Um, Soulsville, our motto is saving souls one step at a time. And our mission is to connect footprints around the world. Soulsville also specializes not only in global shoe drives, but also in toy drives. Normally doing this time of year, we do Shoebox Santa, and, and that's been very successful. And last but not least, we are advocates and sirens against sexual abuse and sexual trafficking of youth. So we try to provide awareness. Uh, so it's sort of a sex and soul uh, foundation because we find it to be so prevalent, even when I'm mentoring, um, that it's just it's just heartbreaking and it's happening right under our nose. In Harlem, I know Sarah, whose daughter, you know, is gone because of it. It's right here in Atlanta. It's huge. 
Um, so we kind of want to put our footprint there to help stop that, to save a soul, if you will, no pun intended. Right. Absolutely. Um, just uh, two weeks ago, we partnered with the National Council of Negro Wom uh, of Women in Colombia with uh, Willis Williams, who's the president of that particular chapter. And amazing event. Soulsville has been uh, one of Burger King's national everyday heroes. Uh, we've been fortunate to get a lot of ink, but more importantly, we have saved a lot of souls one step at a time. Mm. And one of the things that I heard you mention as far as mentorship, that's huge. Um, we, I, I mean, we see this to be a form of mentorship because I'm sure that there's a young person out there that's watching you and, you know, you and I, and they're like, okay, these are two brothers, whether they're members of our um, great fraternity, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, or whether they're other members of the Divine Nine or just melanated men. So I want to be able to show young people you know, the, the, the men of today's generation, um, many things that unfortunately we didn't see. We didn't, far too often, we didn't see enough people who look like us leading by example. So I want to be able to offer some form of mentorship, not only be, uh, not only the, men, the, the mentorship role that I serve in my, in my circle, but I want to be able to expand and, 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 and you know, that, that net to, to capture a larger audience. So with that being said, through your trajectory, were there any mentors that come to mind that like help you ascend? And if so, what were some of those people? Who were some of those okay, people? I'm going to answer that, but I want to say that one of the things in terms of mentorship that Soulsville does is we do a soul out exhibition and we take established artists and we pair them with marginalized children from marginalized communities and they mentor them. So they get hand to hand heart to heart, a sage wisdom, they learn design principles, and they create instruments. Everything is based on shoes and sustainable materials, and they also get to keep a uh, part of the proceeds because we want to empower them to let them know that what you're producing has value and people will pay you for it. To plant that entrepreneurial seed, to plant that confidence, uh, in terms of mentors, uh, Zebra by the name of Joe Sanders, uh, who lived for a long time on Striver's Row, he would just pour into me. It had nothing to do with fashion, but the art of business, real estate, the power of making sound choices, because your decisions really are the end result of your destiny. Uh, there's another bra, older bra, Willie Williams, another real estate mogul, you know, because a lot of times people will say a young brothers, they don't have a father. Sometimes your father's not in the house. He's the neighbor next door. You just need a strong male figure. So I've been blessed with those, even though I have a father. But uh, those two, Stephen Cuttings. Uh, one of my peers, but a strong mentor in terms of making sound choices and what deal to take or my sensibility, because he understands, you know, my principles. Am I in alignment with what I stand for? So it's nice to have a check and balance system and not just a, a yes man, you know, or a yes woman. Um, 
Leo Twiggs, a renowned artist. I remember when I was in college, he came to me and said, you have perfect symmetry, particularly asymmetry. And he went through all, I used to do these elaborate floral shows. And he went through each one, a man of that caliber. For him to touch me, his wife, as an educator, motivated me because I was, quote unquote, labeled as learning disabled. And I went from the poison ivory, if you will, to graduating from an Ivy League school with a 4.0. So my message is that all things are possible if you believe, if you pray, if you pursue, persist, and stand in your power. And I mean, bro, those are all powerful words. And this, I mean, just the words of wisdom that you're bestowing on myself, as well as our viewers and listeners. Uh, I mean, man, I couldn't thank you more. Now, and I know you had mentioned prayer and spirituality, and I know families, all, all those things are important to you. Like, what part has your spirituality served as helping you continue to have all the success that you have, have, have been able to enjoy? Well, a house will not even stand without a cornerstone. And for me, prayer is a cornerstone. It is, you know, there's vitamin A and C, but for me, it's vitamin P. It gives me the intestinal fortitude to persevere and overcome insurmountable odds. When people tell me no, it reminds me of the next opportunity. It reminds me to write the vision and make it plain, though it may tarry, wait on it, for it shall surely come to pass. It reminds me that greater things will I do because I've been given the power to do it. So it's not me seeking approval. It is me moving in appointment. And, and I'm sure our listeners and viewers can just hear the oratory gift that you've been blessed with. And and one of those things has led you to doing a TED Talk. So kind of talk us through how that came about and what that experience was like. Well, you know, TED is was an honor to do the TED Talk. Uh, I love the series, the whole premise of it, because I am an active listener and an active learner. And I don't believe you're never too old to follow your dreams and to learn. The minute you stop learning, death becomes expedient in your life. And so I've been taking in life and ingesting it from others. And now I had the opportunity with the TED to impart, to make that impartation. So a wonderful experience, did it in Deer Park. Would love to do it in Ghana, looking at that. Uh, and to talk about shoes and to challenge people to think about their footsteps, where they're going, what that means for people behind them, what that means for people facing them. Just an ordinary object. And I think a lot of people think of themselves as just an ordinary person. But I believe God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So you have to tap into your extraordinary. And that's the extra. Absolutely, man. And I know uh, we're both proud HBCU graduates. Uh, my Myself, West Virginia State University, you, South Carolina State, State. University. And just wanted to talk, what are some of the things that you're doing with your alma mater to kind of share some of, you know, these, you know, uh, cherished um, um, tools of wisdom and understanding that can help the next generation? 
Well, you know, I was fortunate at South Carolina State University to serve as the freshman class president, junior class president, was nominated sophomore class president, stepped down because I wanted to give someone else an opportunity, junior class president, student alumni president. And the, re the reason I'm saying this is because those leadership principles, I got them from South Carolina State. They were in me, but they were ignited and they were shaped and developed the opportunity to develop my oratorical prowess, the ability to appreciate my blackness and not to uh, subtract from me. You know, being at South Carolina State taught me to do mathematics a little differently. It taught me to realize that often subtraction is addition and that I don't need the world to add to me because it's in me. I can be celebrated by my community and there's nothing more reinforcing, nothing more impactful and contagious than to be in an environment that endorses you. And that endorsement, it doesn't fade away. You take it into the world. Whether it was waiting in lines for refunds, it taught me patience. Whether it's getting online, pledging the greatest fraternity in the world, it taught me perseverance. It taught me that teamwork is not just about me. It is about the brotherhood. And once you realize that you can work as a collective unit, you can do anything. Nothing can stop you. Not even death itself. That's just a pause. If you were profound enough while you had the breath in your lungs, that's what ledge being a legend is. You still celebrate legends after they're gone. And that is the kind of legendary spirit that I possess and that I want to impart to students. Um, you know, being the first, I remember they laughed. They said, you're going to be the first Mr. SC State. My mother said, have you lost your mind? You're competing <laughs> against all those football players. And all she said, I tell you, I don't understand. And it looked like God blew wind in you. You look just as big as them. You were not afraid. And that is the HBCU spirit. You know, too black, too strong, nothing stops you. Because we've been stopped all our lives. We've had nothing but periods. I try not to use them and use commas <laughs> in my life. Even if it's not now, then when? If it's no, then it's the next opportunity. Uh, so South Carolina played, state played a, a vital role. You know, we're the Bulldogs and that Bulldog tenacity. So I have spoken at various Lyceum programs. Uh, I've had the pleasure currently of working with Ingrid Owens, who is the new planetarium director of the museum I'm on the board. Excited about that. We're doing some really innovative things. And she is indeed an innovator and a work of art and motion herself as she expresses herself in fashion, as well as her ability to curate, to make it interesting and, and empower young people to learn. Uh, I have spoken for various at various schools. There I've also done projects with Soulsville. Mm -hmm. at the university uh, as well. So it's it's a long life love affair. You know, my family 
I was born a Bulldogs. You know, my family is there. Uh, my uncle, the faculty dining hall is named after him, Robert Evans, Frederick Evans. Uh, my cousin is the provost. I have several cousins uh, who are in other leadership capacities there, the counseling center, Joseph Thomas. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, and we all share the same desire to be impactful, to make a difference, to let you know that we know who we are. You know, we, we are in the garden, if you will, a possibility. The fruit are ripe if you're ready to pick it. And that's what we try to impart to the students that we encounter. Man, that's dope. And I think just having attended an HBCU myself, um, the things that you experience at an HBCU, it's, uh, it's, it's just things that carry you through life. And I'm not saying that you can't get some of those same things at a PWI because I'm sure there are professors there who are rooted in that, in that same commitment to reach out to those students who are of color to give them that same sense of purpose and empowerment. But when you have a whole university that's rooted that way, it's like it, it quite frankly, it, it, it kind of lends itself to deprogramming the programming that you've received to date, Absolutely. the programming that you've received to be made to feel like you are inferior to be made to feel like this is who you are. When you watch the news, when you watch television, when you watch films, and unfortunately, even when you listen to music, I think, when you go to an HBCU, you're able to see all these people from different walks of life, whether in athletics, whether it's in education, whether it's in science, business, you can, it's, it's like a bubble, if you will. And it's a safe bubble and it's a bubble that is filled with nourishment and mm -hmm. that nourishment will lend itself to the future development of those students. And I think that's why homecoming season is so popular because once you leave the yard, you understand the significance that the yard has had on your professional development as well as your personal development. So it's just like church. Everybody comes back to church because they understand and realize like the importance of church, the importance of the, the you know, the, the foundation of their spirituality, something that they were able to ascertain in an early age. Well, I think the HBCU experience is the same thing. It's a family, you know, and you know, I do HBCU outreach all of, you know, all, all over the country. I've been to an assortment of different schools with different companies such as AMC networks, HBO, et cetera. And even though I didn't attend Clark Atlanta University, even though I didn't attend Hampton, even though I didn't attend Norfolk State, when I come there within 30 minutes, you would think I went there because it's a, because it's like going to a family reunion. There's, there's some kinship. And if you, if you have a couple of conversations with those individuals, um, case in point, some, and this is a legend in your state and a legend at my chapter and, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and God bless him as he's, you know, transitioned to a mega chapter. Um, our brother Glover, Glover Smiley, he mm -hmm. was one of my chapter bros who was a legend in the Spartansburg, South Carolina community. In fact, he knew your line brother, Charles Goodwin. And I remember 
Good one called. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Roots of the Q's, 91 in the building. So, yeah, he was like, yeah, I met, I met Coach Smiley. I'm like, Coach Smiley used to be my, he was my first track coach in Charleston because he was from Chicago. Then he came to West Virginia State, stayed in the area for a while, and he was a coach on what we had. Um, it was a city track club called Striders. He was one of the coaches. And then he, at some point he transitioned to South Carolina where he, I mean, he has a field named in his honor, um, in, in this, at this particular high school in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And I say all that to say I was at Clark and remember I said, it's, it's kind of like a family reunion. I was at Clark Atlanta university with their, uh, mass media department. And I'm talking to one of the faculty members and I told him I went to West Virginia state. He was like, coach Smiley went to West Virginia state. I'm like, Coach Smiley, that's my chapter, bruh. So, and then I went to another school, Norfolk State. Same thing. It's the same experience. That those degrees of separation are so minute. It feels like a family reunion. Like, hey, you know what? I'm at a family reunion, and I have cousins that I didn't even realize I had. And I think what the HBCU experience, it lends itself to is we have this power within us. I think you mentioned it was always in you. Is the South Carolina State further pulled and ignited it and, and it, it fueled that fire. And that's what we want to do, man. Every week we want to be able to, you know, fuel that fire in people and help them, you know, prepare for takeoff because I applaud you for this platform, the work, the tenacity, your vision, your persistence, because I know it's don't stop, won't stop. When it comes to you, and I want to say that South Carolina State this year had the second highest homecoming attendance out of all HBCUs, and this new leader, uh, Alex Conyers, the president, who I know and made me, um, is doing an exemplary job. And you cannot, I believe like John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership and he is a dynamic leader, him, Gerald Smalls, and they all happen to be the bras as well as Frederick <laughs> Evans, with the exception of David Stanton. They uh, have formed a brigade uh, of excellence, and uh, you can just put your seatbelt on because the Bulldogs are about to take you for a serious ride. That's dope, man. That's dope. So, I mean... I, I, bro, I know we can talk all day, but um, I mean, this, we're probably going to have a part two to say the least. But <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to give you the opportunity to share with our listeners and viewers, you know, three takeaways that you would want to leave them with. Uh, if I had to give three takeaways, there is no such thing as no. It's simply next opportunity. Delay is not denial. Uh, the second would be Prepare yourself. If you stay ready, you won't have to get ready. And number three, nobody wants to hear your excuses. You can't flush them. You can't cash them. They have no value. Take your excuses and turn them into a plan of execution. Those will be my three takeaways. And lastly, if there was a fourth, follow the bras. <laughs> absolutely follow the bros root to the cues all day every day and i mean bro i just wanted to thank you man just you know all of the you know the the wisdom you've bestowed on myself as well as our listeners our viewers and i mean I, I 
man, I, I you know, I'm just honored to, to have you on our platform. And, and as you mentioned, man, we are steadfast and determined to make um, the difference that needs to be made in our community. Unfortunately, a lot of times I think people who are able to ascend and have already been able to find themselves airborne. So they're no longer preparing for takeoff. They're in flight. A lot of times they, they fail to realize there's plenty of people that's still on the ground. That's trying to figure it out. And mm -hmm. when you're talking about air travel, the most, the most difficult part of that journey is preparing to go airborne, preparing yeah, for takeoff, yeah. getting off the ground. And, and I think a lot of times people, you know, they develop, uh, paralysis through analysis, you know, they overthink things, overthinking always leads to negative thinking. And we just want to show people like, listen, man, sometimes and I've heard, I've heard Tyler Perry speak on it. Sometimes the best experience is just to do it and figure right. it out and have enough humility to realize and understand, you know what? I may not get it right, but you know, not getting it right. will, will it, it will lead me closer to closer getting to it right. Closer to the goal. Can help you get it right. Yeah, Absolutely. I would also just interject and say, even myself, even with the successes that I have, I still need capital to get to the next level. So if you're looking for someone to put your money, holler at your boy, holler at someone else, because you want all of this excellence from people of color, but you're investing in everyone else but a person of color. Invest in Black excellence. Invest in Black brilliance and uh, uh, invest in black scholarly minds because what you invest in, what you feed grows. Help feed the vision because at the end of the day, they're not gonna see you as a Jew, as an Arab, as a Latino. They're gonna see you as a person of color. Right, man. And, and it's no shade to those other races, but they feed their communities. Mm -hmm. Right. So and, part and, of our poverty is because we don't feed each other. Mm -hmm. I agree, man. I agree. I mean, a lot of, and, and I, I say it all the time, man, like my thinking, unfortunately, um, a lot of it was cultivated by people outside of my community, outside of my faith. I'm a Christian and many people who taught me about business, they, they don't practice the same faith as me. They don't, they don't look like you and I. And I've learned a lot from the Jews at Columbia University. <laughs> right, man, absolutely. So, you know, shout out to the Jewish community, man. They've put me up on a lot of games. And, and quite frankly, I went to a meeting. You know, I used to work with Walter Yetnikoff, the uh, former yeah. president and CEO of CBS Records, the parent company of Columbian Epic, which is now known as Sony. Um, I had a meeting with some of his colleagues, um, and one of them was the former associate um, general counsel of CBS Incorporated and the other gentleman was the founder and um, chairman of United Artists Home Entertainment and we we came in me and um, one of my colleagues who you know Bruce George the um, founder or co-founder of um, Deaf Poetry Jam and founder of Geniuses Common and and I came in pitching the magazine concept and one of the things that we've always been taught is you want to make everything you know, speak to everyone. Oh, don't let them put you in a box. Don't let them this, don't let them that. But then one of the things they share with me is the the power of owning the box you find yourself in as it relates to being able to show up as a subject matter expert and saying, hey, listen, I don't have, and this is one of the things they shared with me, man. I was all over the place. And this was over 20 years ago. And oh, you're just going to speak to this audience, this audience, this audience. 
And then they said to me, and it was a, it was a teachable moment, but it was humbling in the process. <laughs> they mm -hmm. said, Terry, show me somebody who can't, um, def um, define their audience, you know, in, in specifics. So show me somebody who can't define their audience and I'll show you somebody who doesn't have an audience. And, and that's what said, I was alluding to earlier. Right. You know what I'm saying? Your identity. So, your identity. Who's your so, consumer? Absolutely. So what is your product? Absolutely, man. So what, what they shared with me, they said, listen, like, Terry, you don't have the resources to capture what you're describing, which is general market. You need to figure out who your audience is going to be, how you can feed that audience based on your expertise. And then that should be, you know, the, the trajectory of anything that you're doing. So once mm -hmm. they shared that with me, like I left that meeting and I'm like, it's sad that somebody outside of my community That's had to get, a, had yeah. to show me the importance of tapping into my community because they're doing it. And they're like, I don't know why you're not doing it. Cause this is what we're doing. That's why we're meeting with you. And yeah, then, exactly. and that's, and we're so busy trying to get the favor of other communities where the favor is already upon us, you know? So we have yeah, to just figure out. They told me, Terry, um, no one's going to buy those shoes, those shoes or boots from you at those prices because you're black. I said that it shouldn't be a problem. I was, I was always black. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't have any fade creams. Right. <laughs> Everything on me is gone. Right. Exactly. So I should be okay then. Yeah. You should be but good. I also learned, though, I think a valuable lesson because a lot of times we like to blame everything on race. And one of my big takeaways from attending an Ivy League university was that not everything's about race, some things are about class. So I realized to stand in my race but also elevate myself by being in different classes that would give me access to my clientele. Yeah, man, absolutely. And, and people don't understand and realize that we, our class historically, I'm talking about, you know, thousands of years ago, man, like what, what we know or what we've been programmed are, you know, as it relates to what our classes has, has, has led us to believe it is, isn't true. Oh, yeah, like as, as, as the old people say, the devil is a lie. I mean, if you go back to and trace the beginning of civilization, those individuals look like you and me, the begin, you know, as it relates to how math we're yeah, and, and, and the beginning Economies. An economy and just civilization as a whole that started in regions that is comprised of individuals who look like us. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have, you know, they've, they've lost sight of that. And, and it's, and it's largely because, as I mentioned before, there's, you know, when people ascend and they find themselves in flight, they don't ever say, well, you know what, let's make an emergency landing because we have people on the ground who need to, you know, um, figure out what we've already figured out. So that's what I'm all about, man. I know you're all about that, man. And, you know, we're all about trying to empower, you know, the minds of today and tomorrow. And one of the things you said as I close out, and I want to also give you the opportunity one more time to share how they can reach you. But I'd say that to people all the time, like, hey, listen, there are plenty of things that, that as far as expertise and advice that I can give to people who may not be, 20 plus years on, you know, it, you know, into their journey like myself. But as you mentioned, I too, I'm always in need of an opportunity. I think you rarely have ever find yourself to a place where you don't ever need somebody to help you further ascend. 
So how is it that I'm going to be in need of some of those resources as far as my ability to further, you know, ascend, but I'm not going to extend those to the, to, to those individuals who are, who, who, who not, who aren't as far into their race as I am. I mean, that would be, you know, hypocritical to say the least, man. So, you know, again, I just wanted to thank you for joining us, man. And one, and one more time, you know, share with, you know, our listeners and viewers how they can reach you. Absolutely. I want to say that black is the ultimate luxury and you can reach E2 Evans at the Evans Guild. That is www.theevansguildguild.com, theevansguild.com. I'll see you there. And how can I reach you on social media? I'm also on Instagram. You can reach me on IG at E2 Evans. Okay, so that's at E2 Evans. Well, E2, man, I just wanted to thank you for joining us and, you know, just you thank know you. taking some taking some time for us. And as I say every week, every week, you know, we're going to be having esteemed guests such as E2 Evans and others and all, all those individuals who are making a difference in, communi- in, in the community because we are committed to amplifying Black excellence. So every week we're going to be showcasing proven professionals and rising entrepreneurs who are making a difference in the community. So every Wednesday, you can catch a new episode. You don't want to miss that episode. So what you do is you subscribe. You you can subscribe. You can find us on Spotify. If you want to watch the podcast, you can watch it on Spotify. If you want to just listen to the the podcast, you can listen on Amazon Music. You can listen on um, Audible. You can listen on Apple Podcasts. You can listen on iHeart. You can listen on Pandora. Or you can listen on Google Chrome. uh, You can listen on Google Podcasts. So, you know, all the major platforms you can find Prepare for Takeoff. And if you and, and if you want to make it more tailored and specific to make certain that you can reach us, make sure you put in prepare for takeoff and you can put my name, Terry Osiris, and we'll pop right up. So make you make sure you subscribe so you won't miss an episode and you can stay, you know, you can stay in the loop. So once again, thank you for joining us. And every week we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna bring these conversations to um to you and help you prepare for takeoff. Thanks a lot. <laughs>